0: women trust that Jesus is enough to meet every need and satisfy every heart. Praying you will be encouraged and strengthened through this message from the Discipleship Summit. Before I get started, I want to tell you, I went to Asbury Chapel a few weeks ago and I got to hear one of my favorite theologians by the name of Miroslav Volf, V-O-L-F. I don't have his book on the book table, but you want to read him. He's written a book called Exclusion and Embrace. And when the racial riots broke out in 2020, I, somehow Jesus led me to this book. It was on my shelf. It had been one of my grandfathers. And I picked it up. He is Croatian. and He teaches at Yale. He was Croatian, and he was caught in the middle of the Serbian conflict. And basically what he watched unfold was a victim and a victimizer and the process, this endless process of violence. And he said, why do we do that to each other? Why do we do it on the interpersonal level? Why do we do it group to group? Why do we do it nation to nation? Why do we do it? What is it about the human heart that we want to be with our people and we don't want to be with those people? So anyway, he has a beautiful book. The best part, if you don't want to read the whole book, is on the prodigal son, that story, the father with his sons two very different sons so I want to encourage you to read anything he's got a book on forgiveness and he's coming out with a book on home it's in August and that's what he spoke about at Asbury Chapel that God has come among us to make his home with us and that is the intent of creation and all of the Old Testament is that story God wants to dwell in our midst And so you have the tabernacle set up right in the middle, right, with all the 12 tribes around it. he said, I want to come in your midst. I want to dwell with you. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And he said, it's going to be so beautiful because we are going to live in intimacy and fellowship together. That is the story of the Old Testament. And then you get to the prophets, and he says, what? Where have you gone? You have abandoned me. You have betrayed me. And it's in terms of adultery language, right, all throughout the prophets. You have broken my heart. But he didn't give up on us, did he? He said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to come in the person of Jesus. I am actually going to abide in your flesh. The beautiful thing about the human person is that we are made so much in his image that God himself can dwell in us, in our physical, mental, spiritual bodies. That's, what, that's why we're made in his image, so that he can indwell us. And so the beautiful thing is God said, I've come, I've put on your flesh. Not only have I put on your flesh, I have taken into my heart and my soul all the pain, all the blurs, all the wounded places I have borne in myself. And on the cross, I have dealt with that. You are not in bondage any longer. And then he says it gets even better than that. Because in John 16, and this is where I want to start, in John 16 he says, I want to come and dwell not only in your midst, I want to come and not only put on human flesh, I want you to make your home in my heart. I want to be the home of your heart. And before we talk about abiding in Jesus, or I mean Him abiding in us, we have to recognize that he offers us this beautiful invitation to abide in him. He wants to be the home of our hearts, and that's what Miroslav Volf talked about. He said that is God's whole intention to be the home of our hearts, and then we become His home. Right? So I want, we're going to do a little group project, only one minute group project. So be fast. I did a funny thing with my kids. So I was I was thinking about this and praying about this, and I said, okay. So when you think about home, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Not about our home. Just when you think about the word home, what comes to your mind? And so I asked my 22-year-old son, and he said, clean. <laughs> Which was not exactly what I was going for, but... Um, and it probably tells you something about my, my housekeeping, but uh, that was his first word. Then my other, my husband and daughter both said happy love. And then my son said, "Safe." My 18-year-old said, "Safe." So, out of the Albertson family, those were the four words that came. I want you to take. I want you to take. We're going to take one minute. I want you to come up with one word in your group that that says home to you. And then we, I actually want us to shout out a couple of them because one of the things we're not talking about what my home was like. We're talking about what it means to have a home of our heart, a place that is secure. So, take one minute. And I'll call you back. One minute and talk about it and see if you can come up with one word. (laughs) Thank <laughs> Haven. Freedom. Freedom. Comfort. 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 Music. Music. Oh, I love that. Accepting. Accepting. You can, just by listening to these words read, it does something to our hearts, right? Yeah. This is what we long for. And just like Stephanie said, we're to be the sparkle in his eye, he is also to be the home of our heart. And we will know that we are his sparkle as we learn to live in his heart. And he opens up his heart to us and he says, I have come that you might know me. And that you might make your home inside my heart. And the way he does it is through the giving of his Holy Spirit. I want you to look with me at John 16. And we're just going to look at this quickly. Because Jesus said, don't be sad I'm going away. And what could be better than Jesus face to face in the incarnation? What could be better than that? Jesus said, don't be sad I'm going away. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. John 16, um, verse 5 through verse 15. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he was come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and give it to you. Mm -hmm. Jesus, as we look in your word, would you open it to our hearts? And would you help us to understand what it means, this amazing invitation of God Mm -hmm. that blows our minds and and we we don't even know how to receive it. So, Jesus, would you open us so that we can receive yourself, not just your word, but yourself, and that we can find our home in you. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I love about this passage, he said, Don't be sad, it's getting better. And that is always the story with Jesus. It just gets better and better. And as we're gonna see in just a minute in Paul's story, as he faces death, he said, Well that'll be even better, right? There's just this sense of living hope, this sense of going in deep, where, um, where you just have to say the best is yet to come. And that is true with Jesus, even as we reach old age. And the sweet thing is, if you live with people who have loved Jesus for a long time, the older they get, the sweeter they get. And that is, I have known that on a hand basis. There's a sweetness that comes. Because of this, there's a sense of hope all the way to the end. So that's what Jesus says first. And then he says, the helper's going to come and I'm going to send him. And the first thing he's going to do is convict the world. And here's the happy news. That is not my business. It's not my business to convict the world. It's it's the Holy Spirit's business. So I don't that is not what I'm concerned about. He is going to do it, but how's he going to do it as he indwells us, right? Mm-hmm. Not so much by what we say, but whenever we go into a place as a carrier of the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden the light just kind of sloshes. Right? Sloshes over. And what happens when the light sloshes? The darkness has to break, right? Just like when you turn a light on. That's the first thing. He's going to take care of the world. He's going to take care of convicting the world. He's going to judge the evil one. The evil one's not my business. He's going to judge the evil one. And he's going to take care of righteousness. He's going to make things right. That's what the King of Kings does. He sets things in order and makes things right. That's not my business. That's the Holy Spirit's. Then he says, the next thing I'm going to do is, when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's the Holy Spirit of truth. Now we're hearing a lot these days about love and truth, right? And one is good and one is bad, or one is hard and one is soft. And there's no real understanding that when the Spirit of truth comes, The light does flood into the room, and he begins to put things in order. Like my son, Michael, who said, I just want it clean, right? So Now, my house is pretty clean, just so you know. But his apartment is not clean. And occasionally, and he was on a big trip, and I went down, and I knew the number one love gift I could give to him was to kind of get that apartment in order. He loves to come home and have it. I don't do it very often because he's 22. But uh, that was his, and as soon as he got home, he was like, oh. It's all clean um, that's what jesus likes to do he likes to come in and set things in order i've been married for 28 years and to the love of my life high school sweetheart love of my life and just recently in a conversation that was very painfully honest he said some things to me and i realized inadvertently there had been i had hurt him for 28 years not in big ways just little ways he never said anything about it and then all of a sudden there's a conversation and I, I took my Bible, went to my bed, I was stricken. I thought, oh, this man who has loved me so well. And here, 28 years in, and I'm finding that I have hurt him. And... Uh, and, as, and I thought, that's what Jesus likes to do. He likes to set in order, shine light into our relationships. Say, Cricket, you're not doing it all just right, but I'm going to help you so you know how to love this one I've given you. And do you know what then happens? All of a sudden, he and I are in a new place because mm-hmm. I know how to love better. And Jesus says, I'll do that with you as long as you let me all the way till you see me face to face and you can do it perfectly. And maybe we still even learn in heaven. Papa believed you still learned in heaven, right? But there's this sense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to love. It's not something you're just going to zap you. I'm going to teach you how to love practically, how to do the hard work of love. And I'm going to set things in order so that there's a naturalness and a freedom and a beauty about it. When he comes, he puts things in order. And then he says, I'm not going to speak on my own authority And I want you to get this visual image I, I'm not going to speak on my I'm going to, He's going to speak what he hears there's a, there's a conversation going on Between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit is in that conversation And listening to that conversation And he's hearing what God himself is saying Father, Son, and Spirit And then, this amazes me He is going to speak it to my heart That is the invitation. When we say what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that's what it means. That God himself is talking like what happened this morning when I missed Jane, right? And Jesus said, Vietnam, Jane. There's there's a whisper going on. To us individually and it can be about everything as practical as something I forgot to a life-changing thing to Jesus saying I want you to begin to pray for this country in this way it can be little things it can be big things but all of a sudden we get caught up in the conversation of God and let me tell you that is where the joy of life comes from and all of a sudden the chains start falling off and I'll tell you why because all of a sudden they're replaced with this oh my goodness look what's ahead Oh my goodness, look what he's telling me. It doesn't actually matter what's happening in all the different parts of the world because I know what God is asking me to do. I know what he's speaking to my heart. And I'm going forward, listening to his voice and loving him, looking at his face. And do you know what has come to me? I have found in these last few years, Jesus laying some things on my heart, the cricket, these are for you to do. So, well, okay, but I need helpers No, this is for you to do. So I tried to get all the helpers. It was always hurtful and nobody ever really wanted, it wasn't any ladies in this room, it was other projects. (laughs) Nobody really wanted to get on board. And all of a sudden someone said, Cricket, it's yours to do, just do it. And all of a sudden it was the most freeing thing I had ever heard, I thought, oh, it's mine too. And so then there were still negative voices, and but then I thought it didn't matter anymore, right? It didn't matter what they said because Jesus had spoken through that person to me and then I just had to step into the inheritance he had given me and say, this is mine to do. All of us when he fills us with his Holy Spirit says you have a place in my world and I need you to fill it so let me fill you with myself make your home in my heart listen to what's happening in the heart of God and then go forward without with a full abandon and do you know when you begin to hear the secrets that are whispered in the heart of God for you you actually abandonment and dying to self and all those things don't really matter because there is a thrill an absolute thrill that comes from saying oh I can hear his voice and he's speaking my name and it it doesn't look like any other woman in the whole world it doesn't matter he's speaking my name and I'm going forward into his fullness and that's I think the joy that's where the joy of abiding comes in we are women called to himself, but also called to something that he's created us for at whatever stage of life we are in. For example, Miss Betty, right? Miss Betty, after the Korean War as a 22-year-old or 21-year-old, went to Korea, and they eventually started the first nursing program in that war torn land Now, she's 91 and uh, Harvard is asking for her papers because she established the first nursing school in Korea. Wow. And so the witness of Jesus is going to Harvard because Ms. Betty went to Korea. Wow. That is what Jesus does. So you get to your 90s and you said yes to Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus says, and there's more opportunity. You're not done yet. So last night, Ms. Betty said, Could you pray for me? Because I have to get my stuff in order because I want to give the witness of Jesus with my papers which will uh, that will that will happen no matter what but she said they want it for historical reasons but jesus wants it for for (laughs) something that miss betty is super special but it's jesus it's jesus and you think well i'm not that all miss betty was was a nurse who said yes to jesus a woman who said yes to jesus and jesus said i i have a i have a plan i need you I need you in Korea. I need you in OMS. I need you here. That's what he wants to do in all of our lives. But we have to have enough courage. We have to have enough courage to, to say this to him. I'm open. I'm waiting on you. I want you to be the home of my heart, and I want to hear what you have to say. We do get bogged down with all the little things. And Jesus is calling us right further in, higher up and further in. So he speaks what's going on in the heart of God, and that is repeated three times. Three times it says he will tell us what is hurt, what happens in the inner heart of God, and then here's the other, the next number four. He will glorify Jesus. He will glorify Jesus. So we don't actually have to worry about what are we doing and how's it appear and did I say the right thing or oh no. We just have to say, Father, fill me with Yourself. Keep me in your heart, and then we will glorify him. We can't even help ourselves. I think that's the beautiful thing. He just begins to flow out. It's his business to get his witness out in the world. He wants the world to know him. So if he gets one woman or one man who says, yes, fill me, then he says, all right. Now, I'm I'm about the business of sharing that with five here and five there and five there and one here. And then all of a sudden, whatever our gifts are, which are as different as painting, to, to design, to, to technology, all, all, you know, to research, you know all the things that, that we have. Um, and we're all so different from each other, yet Jesus has a special place for each one all the way through. So I think it's not a formula we follow, being a Christian woman or being a Christian, this is the way to do it. It's a love adventure. Right? A love adventure with him and the way gets sweeter and sweeter as we walk. Now I want to give us a practice. Oh, well, before I do that, I want us to look real quickly at Acts. Because sometimes I think we think, okay, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, fill me with your Spirit. But sometimes I think when um, when Jesus ascended at the I'm sorry, this is at the end of Luke. When Jesus ascended at the end of Luke, um, this is what he said to his people. Thus it has been written, and thus it was necessary. Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Wait on him. We are women who like to get things done, right? Come on, Jesus, do what you need to do because I got things to do, right? Here's the invitation wait on him he will give the holy spirit in his time wait on him you know the story of Rosalind Gofor, she was a missionary and her husband was the famous missionary and she went to she went with him to china she was doing the best that she could and one day she overheard her servants talking and they said we li- we wish she lived as as lovingly as she talks she talks more beautifully than she lives and she was stricken Because she was a missionary and she was stricken. So she went and she be here's what she did. She began to search her Bible. How do I, how do I live? How do I let the love of Jesus flow through my life? She didn't just say, Okay, well, do it for me. She began to seek him. She said, Jesus, how can you open your and then you can read one of her books out there, and it just has all of her scriptures. But guess what? You can read hers or you can do it yourself. Get in there and say, Jesus. Even begin to do word studies. What does it mean to have a clean heart? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What are the references to the Spirit? Begin to wait on Him. Acts Acts 2, Acts 2 starts this, and I've never noticed this before. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, when God's time had come to give His Spirit, He gave Him. And I think sometimes in our lives, we w- God is saying, will you wait on me? Will you seek me? Will you want me enough to just wait on my timing? Because guess what? In the timing of our lives, he has a plan. And it may be that he has a special place or time he wants to meet you. I'll tell you this funny little story. When I was dating my husband, we were part of a group of friends. Everybody was getting engaged. So we've been dating the longest everybody was getting engaged and i so wanted to get engaged i knew i wanted to marry him and i so wanted to get engaged but we were the very last even though we've been dating the longest, we were the very last ones of all of our friends to get married or to get engaged and finally one day i was just like matt come on <laughs> and my sweet husband who is a big planner my sweet husband like drove us to his house, ran into the house for something, came back out, jumped into his car, and we went on a lovely, we had a lovely engagement, down by a creek where we loved to hike, and it was super sweet, and, uh, and asked me to marry him, and it was so sweet. But, he had been planning something different. And because I said, because I said, come on, he did exactly what I asked him to do, but I did miss a blessing. This doesn't just apply to being filled with the Spirit. I think it also applies to all of our life with Jesus. Are we willing to wait? Sometimes he will do what we ask him to do if we say, Hustle up. we got to go. But what the invitation I think is, I'm looking for women and men who will wait on me. Who will wait for my time. Because the day of Pentecost was there for a reason. It was 50 days after because it was the sign of the harvest. There was a reason he wanted it on that day. And then all of a sudden, as they waited on him, on God's time, he said, okay, you might be someone who said, I've prayed to be sanctified hundred times and I don't think it ever took. Here's my challenge to you. Wait on him. Say, I'm waiting. Because you have a time. And I'm waiting on you. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to give myself. Give myself. And if you read Sam Brendel's testimony out there, it's this way. Just wanting God so much, so much, so much, so much. And then all of a sudden, trusting God and waiting on him. And then all of a sudden, God came. There are different seasons in our life when we have to do that all over again. You filled me with your spirit at this point. But I need you to come and meet me in just as dramatic a way at this point. And now as I face this season of transition, I need you to do it again. And that's the invitation throughout all our lives. Can we wait on him? And then as we do, he says, if you will wait on me, I will come. I will give you power from on high. I will fill you with my spirit. I will invite you into my heart. I will make my home with you, and you can make your home with me. I want you to, um, I want to close by, by talking about Paul. I think Paul did this better than anyone else. There was just this sense of living in Jesus. And um, if you look at Philippians 1, I think sometimes, um, sometimes as we look at Scripture, we find our best examples of what this actually looks like. What does a life of abiding look like? Now, you know, Philippians 1 is his favorite church, I think. It's the church that uh, he speaks so lovingly to. And Paul is in prison, and he's been in prison when he writes this letter. And what what I want us to, I think if you read the book of Philippians, what you're going to find, it is an example of kind of the interior life of one who is abiding. One who has made his home in God. And if you look at the chapters, I think you can take chapter one. I like to name things. You can take chapter one, and it's my, my word for it is confidence. He's confident in who God is. If you look at chapter two, you have self-giving love. If you look at chapter three, you have perseverance. If you look at chapter four, you have contentment. Okay, so this is that's not the message. That's just a little bonus. <laughs> but, but what I think it is is an example of what it means to be spirit-filled, what it actually looks like, right? We have a confidence in our God, an absolute belief that He is good and He is who He says He is. Out of that confidence and that security with Him, we find ourselves able to give ourselves away. Until we're confident in Him, securely rooted in His heart, we will not, however much we try, we will never be able to give ourselves away in a way that's fruitful. But... Second Corinthians, Philippians 2 comes out of Philippians 1, and then the next chapter is, and now, let's get down to the business, get down to the business God has, let's persevere. Let's walk forward. And then the fourth chapter, contentment. And not only contentment, there's a sense of learning to whether I have anything or whether I have nothing, it doesn't matter. He is enough for me in every situation. But I want us to look at the first one. I want us to look at his confidence in three different areas. Because a life of abiding produces this underlying confidence that God will be good in any situation, no matter what. Medical diagnosis, God will be good. Financial difficulties, God will be good. Interpersonal relationships, God will be good and has a way through. Um, team difficulties, okay, God has a way. Um, disappointments, God has a way. There's this sense of confidence because we've heard that inner conversation of God. He's whispering to our hearts and making a way. So this is, this is what Paul says in, in Philippians 1-3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Just as it is right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. And then he goes on to pray for them. This I pray for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Okay, here's what I want. He was abiding in the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus was abiding in him. So he's sitting in prison, chained to a guard, and what is he doing? He said, okay, I don't have a lot I can do here. I can talk to my palace guard, or I can write a letter to my friends. Okay, I'm going to write a letter to my friends. And what am I going to talk about? Am I going to talk about that I'm chained? Am I going to talk about this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go? Am I going to talk about, wait, I thought God wanted the whole world reached, and I'm stuck here in this prison? No, I'm going to thank my God for you that's what the spirit does yeah. he gets us so secure in the heart of god that all of a sudden we get into a hard place and we're like now wait a minute because that one that i love is in a hard place so i'm going to share love now i have an 18 year old son and i call him my wild boy he's got crazy hair and he uh, he is of our three children he is my most um out there <laughs> Super loving, him, and he and he kind of knows it so, sometimes I'll say to him, Isaiah, I'm so proud of you. You make Jesus' heart so happy, you make my heart so happy. And literally, six feet tall, big, he loves to muscle, build his muscles, so he's a big guy. And then he'll just, he's uh, like, he stands up taller. Mm-hmm. Jesus is so proud of me. My mom is so proud of me. I talked to my husband last night, he said, Cricket, you wouldn't believe Isaiah, he's been amazing. So I turned around and I told Isaiah on the phone, I said, your daddy says you've been amazing Well, I've been God. And he said, really, mom, really? And you could tell he was gonna go into that day to be amazing,
1: right? I think that's what
0: I think that is what Paul is doing. I'm thanking God for you. We're in this together. You're doing such a good job. You ministered to me. And so he's speaking life over these children, these spiritual children that he has. Speaking not out of his own discomfort, not out of his own disappointment, but out of this sense of oh, God's got us on this big adventure together. And I know. I know he's going to finish what he started in you. Amen. That's our prayer, right? For all those who come behind us, we're praying for you that God's going to finish all the way to the end what he started. And there becomes this beautiful joy as not only are we filled with the Spirit and not only is our home in God, all of a sudden we start to say, now Jesus, who do you want us to reach out to? So that one or this one can be encouraged in the Spirit as well. And he says, then he prays this most amazing prayer for abounding love, that they would know abounding love, that they would know discerning love, and that they would know knowing love. they would know, Isn't that sweet? Knowing love. They would know the love of the Father for them, and they would be able to share that love with others. And so as, as he's sitting there in his chains, as he's sitting there, there is this abounding river of life, That's flowing out of his heart. That's what the Spirit of God does in any life. And then the second thing is, then in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace of God and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren of the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word of without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. He's confident in his thanksgiving and prayer. He's also confident in the witness. The job he's been given to do. So he's there chained. There's very little he can do. And so what is he doing? He's telling the palace guard about Jesus. And then he's telling this palace guard about Jesus. And then he's talking about Jesus to the people, come, the people who come. He says, I love Jesus, and he is the resurrected, risen Lord Jesus. And all of a sudden, the palace guards, they're kind of getting interested. And then the Christians who are coming to see him, they're saying, well, he's telling everybody about Jesus right here. Well, we'll go tell people about Jesus. And what actually happens, those chains become, become a way for G- the name of Jesus to be lifted up. Now, think about, think about the places in your life where you have limitations. Limitations. Well, I, I could if only I wasn't in this marriage, or if only I didn't have this illness, or if only I didn't, if I, I was a little more free to pursue my gifts, or if I was a little more, if my children would just get their acts together, whatever it is, Jesus says, No, right from where you are, right from where you are, the name of Jesus can go out. You say, Well, I have to work. We have to have the money great the name of jesus is going out into the workplace well i have to get up super early and i can't have my devotions at this time and jesus says no problem have them at this time and then the name of jesus can be honored there there's this sense of saying jesus we give you all of us and then he begins to creatively write our story so the name of jesus is lifted high. i have loved jesus since i was 13 and my desire was really to share him Comfort is just this. No, Jesus says, I will, no matter the circumstances of your life, no, I will make myself known. All you have to do is love me right where you are. And then, what about disappointments, right? Mm -hmm. Some people with envy and selfish ambition. Do you know what? Paul is not concerned about that. The name of Jesus is going out, and the Holy Spirit can use the name of Jesus, despite what people's motives are. Now, Paul could have stressed and fretted and worried about what was happening. He didn't. He said, God, you've got to take care of that. There is nothing I can do. I am chained here. Same way in our lives. There are things that only the Holy Spirit can handle. Only he can sort out. Only he can figure out. And so we say we lift the name of Jesus. That's all we can do. And then we entrust the rest to him. There was this beautiful combination in Paul of determination and freedom. And that's what comes when we love Jesus with all our hearts. We're going forward, but we're free. It's not a striving. It's this sense of we can trust him. And then the last thing is, he's confident in his future. This is verse 19. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but with all boldness, As always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more helpful for you. So being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with all for your progress and joy and faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. I love this. He is absolutely confident in his future. Whether he lives or whether he dies, it really doesn't matter. And I love, he, the love for Jesus is so real that there's a sense of, well, I'd really rather go and be with him. I have to tell you, I, I read... I read an author, and he wrote on the tragedy and the comedy in the gospel story. He's a, he's he's a brilliant writer, and it was a literary um, approach to the gospel. I and mean, he talks about the tragedy, like how do we handle the tension of the world, and a preacher must always hold in tension the real sorrow of the world that things don't work out always in a happy way, and then the beauty of the fact that ultimately they do, and how we hold these two in tension. Um, but I got to the end of the book, and there was more a sense of the tragedy than there was a sense of the victory. And you could feel the man's pain even as he wrestled as he wrestled it through. And I, I was thinking, oh, that's such a good book. That's so good, so good. And then I read Philippians, and I thought, you know, there's none of that in Paul. There's, how he looked at the tragedy of the world was, this is God's opportunity. And what he was speaking into, how many Christians were there at Paul's time? Not very many. There weren't very many. But in Paul, there's no sense of, there is just this sense of joyous opportunity that God is on the move and he's doing beautiful things, and I get to be part of his story. And I think that's how God wants us to live. Say, Jesus, I give you the sorrow of the world. I give you my own sorrow. I am hidden in your heart. And therefore, your blood cleanses me, it heals me, and out of that I go forth into all that you have for me. This confidence in his future that whether he lives or dies, he belongs to Jesus and he will see Jesus. And then this, don't you love this, this automatically, but I bet you need me. I bet you need me. When my, my grandfather moved in with us when he was 89, and um, and we thought he was going to heaven, so we just kind of brought in a hospital bed and did a quick fix to get him situated with us. We really thought he was going to to bed, and then my three kids began to come in. And some of you have heard this. My three kids began to come in and love on him, and they were like 8 10 and twelve, and they would kiss him and love on him and bring him coffee and check on him and love. On him. And all of a sudden, literally, all of a sudden, he was kind of like. Hmm. Huh. And he, he perked right up And he lived there for five more years <laughs> Because there was this sense of Well they need me They need me And God's doing something here in these kids And I just think they need me And guess what They didn't And he's the number one witness to Jesus my God. So isn't it sweet that even all the way to the end, there's this sense of, oh, they need me. God's going to keep me around a little bit longer because they need me. But whenever he calls me, oh, I'm ready to go. And that is the freedom of being a Christian. That is the glory of the gospel. That all this, and then Jesus too. And there is a sense of joy when we find who he's created us to be, and it comes out of his heart, and we say, I don't need, I don't need someone else to meet all my needs because I am hidden in the heart of God. So we start to feel insecure, and what do we do? Do we say, Oh my goodness, how could I still be insecure? I'm 48 years old. No. We say, Oh Jesus, you're my Oh, Jesus, you're my hope. We start to get afraid about someone we love and when sick. oh, I'm worrying, I'm worrying. Oh, no, Jesus, I trust you with that one. Oh, Jesus, help me. And Linda said this last night. She said, if we could just learn to draw on him, just, oh, Jesus, every time those temptations, fears, insecurities come, just learn to lift our faces and say, oh, Jesus, you're my light. You're my light. Help me to know how to go forward. And that is the sweetness. That's the sweetness. And we don't have to have a master plan, how it's going to work out at every stage of our life. All we have to do is simply say, lift our face and say, Jesus, we're open, we're waiting, we're yours, and we're excited about all that you're going to do because you are the I read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. You can tell I was kind of having a hard, hard week. <laughs> so I got to the end of C.S. Lewis's book, and uh, I hadn't read it for a long time. It's very interesting. On it, it's what he wrote when his wife w- had died, and he couldn't really believe God had taken her. It was such a late love story, and and then she was gone. And at the end of it, he said he had kind of an impression of her that she came, and he said to him, it was said. It uh, he said it was it was like she called me on the phone to tell me something like check the mail today honey and, she, and he's talked about it in terms of an extreme and cheerful intimacy and then he thought is that what it's like with Jesus that there's this kind of practical happy okay well let's get about the business of God these are the words he used I'm almost scared of the adjectives I'd use they're not spiritual mm-hmm. But this is, and they're not mystical. These are the words that I would have to use. Brisk, cheerful, keen, alert, intense, wide awake, solid, utterly reliable, firm, without any nonsense. Sometimes I think in our walk with Jesus, there's just a sense of Jesus calling us, right? To live in his presence, to hear his word, and just say, okay, well, we want to be about the purposes of God. And um, there's a cheerful intimacy about what he's calling us. I love that word. It's helped me. Sometimes it helps me get out of myself and say, okay, Jesus, what, what what is your next assignment and what is the next thing you have to Because when we're full of the Spirit and when our home is his heart, we are safe. And we are able to love. We are able to persevere. And we can be content. Jesus, we love you. Your message is, It's too good to be true, but the reality is you are too good to be true. And we want to acknowledge in this room, your glory, that you said, I love love those creatures I made. I want to live with them. I want to take on their flesh. I want to give them myself. I want to invite them into my own divine conversation. Jesus, I pray that every single one of us would say one big yes, and that we wouldn't for one instant think that we will miss any good thing But there will be a sense that if we follow you with all our hearts, there will be, we will become the ones you created us to be. And all of the fullness of God will be given to us. And so Jesus, I just pray we would run with open arms. We would lift our face. We would wait on you for all the good that you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name.